Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 70th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pentak, alongside my friend, Adam Goff. And Adam, Matt, of all the times that we've faked opening cans and drinking beers, I think that was the, the worst impression we've ever done. That was pretty good, but uh, footy, Zach, septuagenarians, footy. So explain this long spelling the winning word to our listeners and to me well it's the 70th episode and somebody in their 70s is a septuagenarian just like uh, someone in their 80s is there an oct- is. octogenarian which somebody would in their 90s is a what would somebody in their 90s be what is non- that nonogenarian not of nonogenarian nonogenarian i mean yeah would go like now. here give me give me some time like bigenarian bi- trigenarian Quadrenarian. Yeah, nonagenarian. A person who is from nineteen to ninety-nine. Yep. What yep. what is five? Is is five? pentagenarian, sexagenarian, septagenarian. Okay. Got it. That was good. I was I'm yep. glad we ran through that. All right. So important um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was that was very important stuff. Um uh yeah, seventieth episode of the False Nine. It's very exciting. Every number that ends in a zero is significant to us humans. So this is one of those. That's right. We're in the seventh decade officially now of the false nines. Ooh, I like that. Not true, but I do like that. <laughs> that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> um, well, well, num- numbers and number prefixes aside, this will be a fun episode. We're obviously not going to be talking about the Premier League today because that is over um, and we are going to be dipping into the summer football festivities. I do want to start um, before we go into Euros, which will be the entirety of our episode today, covering the first weekend of the European tournament. I want to give a shout out to the United States of America national team winning the Nations League here in Denver um, in pretty exciting circumstances, and then following that up with a friendly 4 0 win over Costa Rica. So the US is looking, the US is looking nice right now. Things are. Things are kind of coming together, and I yeah. think that deserves to be pointed out. That was a fun game to watch. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think they'd come out winners in that game. I was a skeptic in that one. So good, good job, the U.S. men's national team, and U.S. women's yeah. national team can't stop winning either. So, yes, they they never can stop winning. Um, special special shout out in the U.S. men's national team goes to uh, normally backup keeper Ethan Horvath, who came in due to an injury to Zach Steffen. Ethan Horvath, a native of Highlands Ranch, Colorado. That is absolutely right. Yep, I noticed that as well. So yeah, good, good keeper as well. Made some really good saves. I thought he was at fault for the second goal, but he more than made up for it between then and the oh, other. Oh yeah. Match. Do you know he's only started six matches for his club team in the last two seasons? I did not know that, but I think he plays in Germany. I remember seeing that. Ooh, uh, I'm pretty certain he plays for Gank. I think he's one of four players on the U.S. national team that plays for Gank in in the uh, in the Belgian league. I'm oh. actually positive that that's true. Yeah. All right. I will not. I will not challenge you on U.S. men's national team soccer knowledge. So, um, you you may that have is. this one, sir. All right, and one that you will have will be knowledge on the Welsh team that we'll be talking about in just a moment. So, uh, for the agenda on today, we'll be running through all of the matches that have taken place so far today. We're recording this on Monday evening, so still two matches to play. The two matches. Uh, in Group F between France and Germany and Hungary and defending champions Portugal. Those will all take place uh, tomorrow. 
Um, but yeah, we had a, let's see, we had eight matches or 10 matches so far um, in the uh, Euro tournament and some some more exciting than others, but a lot of notes uh, to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to get the um, the Euros underway here. It's going to be a fun, fun tournament. Um, extended, bigger tournament this time. We've got more teams in it. So third place teams actually may end up qualifying from their groups of four. In fact, four of the six third place teams will qualify those that have the best record. So all to play for here. Um, going to be a really exciting tournament. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll run through um, the tournament by groups. So pretty much a chronologic look at all the matches, some slightly um, kind of out of order. But let's start with Group A, Adam. And before we start with Group A, actually, trivia of the week, as we always do, or of the bi-weekly, um, as, as listeners might expect, this one is not an EPL trivia. No, this one's actually a Euros trivia this time, Zach. So in honor of our Euros episode, I think we'll probably end up having two, maybe three of them. We're going to do some Euros trivia for you. You ready for um, some fantastic trivia here, sir? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. It's a very simple one. Who is the only Italian to finish as top scorer in a European championships? Okay. Interesting. Any names jumping out at you there? Not off the top of my head. A couple right. that are stewing around, but I'm not nothing I'm sticking to right now. All right. Well, more clues to come halfway through the pod, and then at the end we'll give you one more clue and the answer. Beautiful. So um, Italians, uh, that's a good way to start this off, actually, because we're going to start with the Italy-Turkey match, the first match of the tournament held. Um, it was held in Italy, wasn't it? Um, the, the match on Friday. Yep. That's yeah. Right. It was in Rome. Um, yeah, it was at the Stadio Olimpico, which I actually have seen two different matches at. Fun fact about me, your host of the podcast. Um, so Italy coming away with the the opening match of the tournament with a comfortable 3-0 win over Turkey. Adam, as you and I talked about offline a little bit, Turkey was one of the kind of fan favorites for a quote-unquote dark horse in this tournament and um, really outdone quite quickly by this match. And uh, important to note that in, in Euros, it's you play three matches in the group stages. So a loss puts you in an immediate, immediate hole uh, and it really kind of like decreases your chances to, to be able to make the second round. And a three-nil loss, uh, particularly with the minus three goal differential, going to hurt you pretty pretty badly. Yeah, absolutely. Going into this one, I think, like you said, a lot of people fancy Turkey as that sleeper team, but Italy came into it on the back of an amazing, amazing record. Nine consecutive clean sheets now after this 3-0 win over Turkey, and they haven't lost since they lost 1-0 to Portugal in September 2018. It's been almost three years since the last competitive loss or last loss of any kind by this Italian national team, and it wasn't long before that that Roberto Mancini took over the team. So, Amazing result for them. Um, we had 24 shots to three in favor of Italy. This was very, very one-sided. No shots on target for Turkey Turkey in this game. And Yilmaz, who started in my fantasy football team for Turkey, obviously came up with a big fat goose egg for me. So thank you very much, Mr. Yilmaz on the Turks. And it's interesting because this Italy team, kind of a bit different than you know the, the historical precedent for Italian national teams. Typically, we expect firm, stout defense and just a lot of discipline and organization. Um, but this Italy team really driven by the midfield and attacking players with aging defenders. And then obviously uh, you have 
uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma in goal, who is a quite stout keeper, actually has now confirmed he'll be going to PSG uh, for next season on a five-year deal. Um, but again, a, a, if you're talking dark horses, I'm, I might put Italy in that conversation, you know. Um, a notable team historically, but a team that hasn't had a lot of international success recently. Um, and they are looking very, very dangerous at the moment. Yeah, you know what you're going to get with Italy. You're going to get a defensively solid team. Always churn out great goalkeepers. I'm glad you mentioned Donnarumma as well because he's fantastic. 22 years old and he already has 215 appearances for Milan. And this is his 27th um, cap for Italy as well. So literally going to be around for the next 10, 15 years. And he'll continue to add to all of those records that he has to date. Um, but yeah, again, you're going to get a defensive team. And now you've got a team that can actually score goals as well. Um, so uh, Immobile as well scored a great goal in that in that game. Uh, and I just really feel like this might be the time for the Italians. They're, they're on a great run. Mancini seems to have them well-drilled, well-organized. Um, not, not, not somebody I think that you should bet against at this point. I like that. I agree. Not sure if I'm going to bet for them, but I wouldn't bet against them. They, um, as, as you said, the discipline in the Italian side is, is staying consistent throughout the years, even if they are now a bit more of an attack-minded team. Um, second match on Saturday, or the, excuse me, the first match on Saturday, your, your, your lads, it's coming home, Adam. Wales picking up a precious first point. Again, um, you know, any point is precious in a three-game set, and Wales getting a point against Switzerland. Uh, I'd say two teams that uh, a lot of people probably had marked as, you know, uh, it being somewhat likely to get a draw out of this match, somewhat I'd say reasonably fairly matched sides, but uh, an exciting match it was for for only a two goal game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think on on paper, I think maybe you'd you'd look at this seventeenth in the world Wales against thirteenth in the world Switzerland. You think a draw might be the result, but I'll be honest with you, I thought we were very fortunate to come out of this game with a point. Um, Switzerland looked like they came to play. Briel Mbolo, um, a name that I haven't heard her too much of before this game, but. Whew, that guy is like similar build to Lukaku, so strong on the ball. He was just holding um, our defenders, Mepham and Rodden, off the ball all game. And he's only 24, 43 caps already for the Swiss. I think, believe I heard that he was actually born in the Cameroon. Um, and Samuel Eto'o mm. actually tried to poach him over to, to tell him to get his allegiance to the Cameroon. Um, but he he grew up in Switzerland, so that's why he sure. declared his allegiance towards the, the Swiss national team. Anyway, I digress. Um, in this game, I thought we were largely outplayed. We were reliant on set pieces. We went with the game plan of having Kiefer Moore as a false nine up top. Hey, shout out to the false nines. Um, and then we had on the other sides of him, Gareth Bale on the left, and we had um, Daniel James on the right-hand side. I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure if that's the right formation. It's a 4-3-3 formation for Wales. It's very attacking, but we weren't really pushing forward too much. And the only time we really looked dangerous to me was set pieces or if we had a quick break. And Moore isn't the sort of quick break striker that you want. You know, you want your Harry Wilsons in the team when that happens. So um, I did think that the goal was fantastic. Um, Joe Morrell put in a lovely, it was a short corner, played to Joe Morrell. He nicked it in and Kiefer Moore got a great header past the goalkeeper who denied him in the first half. Goal made and scored in the championship there. That's, that's the way Wales do it. Um, but in general, I think Wales will be happy to take a point from this one and stay stay alive. And I think that Switzerland probably will be disappointed, especially with a marginal offside goal towards the end um, ruled out through VAR. 
Yeah, and I I agree. It's a game that perhaps Wales, as you said, we're, we're lucky to get a point out of. But you know, again, getting a, getting a point is the most important thing. Um, especially important to note that uh, because of the expanded format for this tournament, the four best of there there are six groups in Euros and. The four top performing third place teams in each group will also qualify for the second round. So again, you, you as long as you can avoid losing, you have a decent shot to make it to the second round. And Wales doing exactly that. Yep, I think you know there there's a lot of people feeling a little bit disappointed after the game that we didn't go after it a bit more. But um, some some stats for you: Wales have lost once in 14 competitive games, and that only loss was to Belgium. Um, and we seem to be a side now that can grind out and achieve results even when we're not playing our best, which I think is absolutely true. I thought Bale didn't have a great game in this one. Um, I thought he definitely has a lot more to to show and to prove. Ramsey was another player that wasn't necessarily on the top of his game. I could potentially see. Um, I could see Harry Wilson coming in in the next game, um, starting in that 4-3-3 formation. Probably not in place of Bale, probably in place of James. But James, I thought, actually was one of the better Wales players. So it'll be interesting to see if they make any changes in, in this next upcoming game. Yeah, what's nice about Gareth Bale is he can play pretty much anywhere across that, you know, attacking four or five players on your team. So if you're if you're having to move players around, he's an easy player to do that with. Yep, absolutely. Totally agree. So um, all in all, Good point. That puts Wales on one point with Switzerland. Turkey obviously up next for Wales. That's going to be in Baku again in Azerbaijan. So they're already out there. Um, Turkey, I think, have to make the trip out there from Rome to that. So hopefully the home field advantage, if you will, after the first game might be a, a clincher for us there. Turkey, the lowest ranked team in this group um, in, at 27 currently in the FIFA. Yeah, again, a good shot to go forward for, for the Dragons. Yep, if we take three points, we're through, undoubtedly. So, Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, on to uh, the other matches. On Saturday, it was Group B, and the first match that was played um, on the or out of the Group B fixtures, Denmark-Finland. Uh, it was a 1-0 win for Finland, although um, the news and the focus of that match, very little on um, what took place, I, I would say, uh, with the ball in motion during the game, and so much more fixated on uh, the horrific incident that occurred with uh, Denmark superstar Shin Eriksson um, collapsing in the first half and suffering um, what we later found out was an actual full-on cardiac arrest on the field. Um, the medics ran on quickly um, and were able to uh, apply um, a a shock charge with a defibrillator to Ericsson um, almost immediately. Uh, the match was suspended and uh, a lot, uh, pretty pretty much the, the world kind of held its breath um, in waiting to find out what the condition of uh, Ericsson was. We later found out, uh, thankfully, um, that Ericsson was in stable condition in the hospital, uh, but just a really a terrifying, a unprecedented, uh, completely unexpected incident uh, that really brings up a lot of questions more so on what took place after the incident uh, than the incident itself. Um, from there, I'll, I'll kind of hand it over to you, Adam. What what were you feeling when you, when you were watching this happen and when you were hearing the news about uh, the 
know, what happened with Ericsson and, and how it was all being dealt with by the officials of the tournament. Yeah, I'll, I'll be transparent in that I didn't catch this live, but um, I tuned in about 10 minutes after the incident happened. So he was still being treated pitch side when that happened. And I was um, I was just watching the commentators on ESPN and the, the hosts on ESPN talking about this. And you could tell there was genuine emotion there that they this had happened. And, you know, it kind of put everything into perspective. You know, we've been waiting so long for this tournament. It's over a year delayed. We finally get it. And then we get, you know, we've got fans back in the stadium in, in some capacity, at least in, in, in some numbers. And then we have an issue like this that happens for, let's be honest, the biggest name currently in Danish football, Christian Eriksson, um, in Denmark. This was where this game was played with Christian Eriksson's fan, uh, family in the stands. And just can you imagine being, being that family and watching, um, you know, your loved one on the field having such a hard time and, you know, barely surviving that with, with his life. And um, I think, I think in answer to your original question, what I was feeling and watching this was like priority number one, let's hope he survives. Right. Let's, I don't really care about, you know, whether or not he plays in the tournament for like, he probably won't play in the tournament. I don't know if he'll ever play again. Like it, it remains to be seen yeah. what happens with the, the test that happened, but at least from a family standpoint, he's, he's there. He's got his loved ones with him in the hospital. He seems to be doing pretty well, all things considered. You know, he's, he's posting on social media. So these are all good, positive things. And then we're led back to the, you know, he, he waves and he acknowledges the fans as he, he's taken off the field about 30 minutes later. And, and then they talk to the two teams. And then there's the conversation of, well, what do we do now? Do we postpone the game, which everyone assumed that they would, or do we play on? And the decision was made to play on in honor of Christian Eriksson. And I'd love your take, Zach, on how you feel about that. Do you think that was the right choice? Do you think, you know, obviously there there'd been the Danish players gathered around while CPR was being performed on Eriksson. That's got to really knock you as a human being. What seeing one of your teammates there laying on the ground, you know, seconds from death. Um what do you think of the decision to to play on with this game? So UEFA has made the claim that the players were consulted about this and the players essentially made the decision to play on just 90 minutes later. And they were given the option of playing on 90 minutes later or playing the next day. I don't know how much I believe that. I don't know how much I believe that it was really in the players' hands of when this game would be restarted. Um, I, I think that knowing what we know about uh, UEFA, knowing what we know about FIFA, and, and kind of sports organizations as a whole, I, I think that there was probably some some pressure or some decision-making being done by UEFA to, to make this game continue for the sake of the schedule and for the sake of the structure of the tournament. Uh, there's been widespread outrage about this. Um, uh, namely, you know, some of the more notable people, Peter Schmeichel, uh, a legend in uh, Danish football, uh, and the father of Danish keeper Kasper Schmeichel going on TV and saying that it was a disgrace that the players had to play after, like you said, seeing one of their best friends, one of their brothers, possibly, you know, in, in a completely compromised state lying right in front of them and uh, them having no idea 
you know, what his fate was going to be. So I, I think it's just, it was, it was disgusting that the players had to play this game with all of that on their mind. And, um, you know, just, <laughs> I, I can't imagine the fear, uh, both for themselves, uh, for their, their friend and just having to play that mind uh, or that match under such, such dark clouds mentally. I just, I, I think it was a really horrible thing that these players, both both the Finnish and the Danish players, had to go through. Yeah, agreed. And um, you know, the, the, there's a lot to be said also that the the Finnish players were, were affected by this too, right? Just because it's not um, their teammate that that's gone through this. I mean, everybody knows who Christian Eriksson is. Like casual football fans, for the most part, will know who this guy is. You know, he's playing for Inter Milan, one of the biggest teams in, in the world. And to see him go down like this, you know, is, is certainly going to really affect everybody on the field, not just the, the Danish players. So I totally agree with you. I think he summed it up really, really well. I don't think this game should have gone ahead. Um, and as it turns out, Finland won this game 1-0, despite only having one shot to Denmark's 22. So it remains to be seen what repercussions playing on will have for the Danish in this tournament. Obviously, they're without their stud player now in Christian Eriksen, for we assume the rest of the tournament. And... The decision to play on, you know, with everything going on, there were people that were subbed off for the Danes um, because they were so emotionally affected and they thought they could get through it and they found out later that they couldn't. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they get out of this group. I really hope that both Finland and Denmark get out of this group. That would be my my hope personally, that they get out of second and third place teams because they're probably not going to finish ahead of Belgium. Um, but it'd be nice to see both teams qualify for the next stages. Certainly. Certainly. I think that's... Yeah, well, well, well said. Um, don't really need to beat a dead horse, I suppose, about you know how how poor it was that these players were, like you said, f- forced in a, a situation to continue playing, and clearly were not, for rightly so, not able to to be of full healthy minds in doing so. And unfortunate for Denmark that they lost the game. Although you know Ericsson's health, obviously, you could ask anybody and they would say that that's the more important thing. So again, uh, Christian Eriksen, uh, healthy enough, or not healthy enough. That's a, a poor way of putting it. Um, in stable condition in the hospital, um, you know, breathing, conscious speaking. And that's really the, the main takeaway from that match. Yep, exactly. All right. So on to the other fixture in group B, this one as well was one that they were talking about potentially being canceled after the Eriksen incident, but they decided to play on. Uh, Belgium won this game 3-0 against Russia. And I think probably the most notable thing that happened in this game was uh, Romelu Lukaku scored a brace, and then for his first goal, he dedicated it on camera, grabbed the camera, and said, Chris, Chris, it's for you, Chris. Um, uh, obviously, a homage to his inter-teammate, Christian Eriksen. So a touching moment there for two ex-Premier League players. Um obviously very close um, on the inter side of things and Belgium running out pretty comfortable three nil winners in this game. I think this is exactly what we kind of expected here, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Belgium is my pick Uh, is been one of my picks to, to make a deep run in this tournament. Uh, This is kind of in a lot of ways, like Belgium's last big chance, I think at a Euros, you know, De Bruyne is over 30, Vertonghen's over 30. Um, I think that uh, Alderweireld is over 30 as well. Um, Hazard is over 30. 
Uh, they, they have a lot of players who are aging, um, and maybe De Bruyne is the one player I said that's not over 30. But um, yeah, anyway, turning, it, he's turning 30 during the tournament, June 28th. So there I'll it is. It I, okay, I knew. I knew, yes, I I knew that there was there was something about him, you know, crossing crossing that threshold uh, before or during the tournament. So Belgium, a team that has been you know pretty highly uh, highly touted for a number of years and has has kind of underperformed at the highest level. And I think this is a really good opportunity for them to, to kind of get that um, elusive title. Um, and again, uh, a good start with a 3-0 win. Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard that thrown around quite a bit as well about this being the last hurrah for, for Belgium. Um, I, can, I can see what you're saying there, right? I think you've got to put in perspective, though, it is 2021. This is Euro 2020. Next year is the World Cup um, in 2022 in Qatar. And that's going to be later in the year. So I do think that this isn't necessarily the last hurrah for Belgium. I think even if they don't win this tournament, they did well in the last World Cup, they'll probably do well in the next one. But once we start getting into Euro 2024, I think that's probably when we'll see the golden era really kind of not necessarily be at the top of their game anymore. So it's either this year or next year for Belgium. Otherwise, I think they, they might miss out again. Yes. Okay. That's a, that's a better way of putting it. I suppose I meant the last Euros, I think they will be. Um, you know, really be able to contend. But again, off to a good start. 3-0 victory in the second match of Group B on the weekend. And uh, on to Group C, it was on Sunday. Everybody's, um, you know, the, the Cinderella team in the tournament, North Macedonia coming up uh, against Austria. And I think a lot of people, you know, were saying if if North Macedonia is to do anything in a group with Austria, Netherlands, and Ukraine, Austria is, is perhaps the, the best chance they have. And unfortunately, the Macedonians did get a goal through a national legend, Goran Pandev, the 37-year-old. He was the, the oldest player to ever score uh, the first goal. Uh, hit, the oldest player to ever score his first goal in Euros at 37 years old. As this was the first major tournament that North Macedonia has ever qualified for. Um, but Austria eventually kind of getting a, a grip on the game uh, coming out to a three-one victory in this one. Yeah, it was a, it was a good performance from North Macedonia, but I just think you know they're slightly out of their depth, especially in this group. This is a tough group as well. I think they'll they'll struggle in this one. Um, doesn't get any easier for them either. They've got Ukraine up next, and then Netherlands in their final game. So, I, I think Macedonia are probably just happy to be there. They're happy to be there, competing, yeah. having their fans there, be able to really witness that for themselves. Like you said, Goran Pandev. Um, great, great player um, in his career, and nice to see him performing on a major international stage. And nice to see also ex West Ham player Marko Arnautovic as well on the score sheet for Austria. I think he's an underrated striker, and he'll probably score a couple in this tournament. Did you see the Arnautovic goal and his reaction screaming at the Math- Macedonian players? <laughs> he's a little bit crazy, but that's what we love about him. I, I, I saw a tweet that was my my favorite euro related piece of media on the weekend that said uh marco or marco Arnautovic proving that uh you can find success in life if you hate every team you've ever been on every manager you've ever played under every teammate you've ever played with and hate the game of football more than anything else in the world and i thought that was so spot on because that player marco Arnautovic, since his days at west ham and then going to China has never seemed to enjoy one moment of his entire career. No, but he's still crushing it, dude. He's that's a funny quote. I like that. That's good stuff. 
Yeah, it was it was a good one. Was impressed by Austria there, although against the minnows and the North Macedonians, I thought they played it quite well. Uh, David Alaba with a really nice assist for the second goal for mm -hmm. Austria, um, and actually the uh, the first goal as well. Um, the the ball by uh, who was it? Um, not Subasic. Um, Forgetting the name right now, but the, the ball from the the Dortmund midfielder on Austria, like a forty yard ping to the back post, um, was was a really impressive one, and I think they could make some noise. I definitely think that you know with a victory, they're in good place to go through this group. But Austria could be uh, kind of in uh, a bit of a trap game for some teams. Yeah, it looks like that assist was Marcel Sabitzer. Uh, Sabitzer, I knew it began with an S, and I just could not remember the whole name. But uh, yeah, a really really nice assist by Sabitzer and Austria getting the three points. Yep, indeed. And then in the follow-up game to that in Group C, um, we had a really entertaining game. This was famous because it was the first ever Euros match to be nil-nil at halftime and then have five goals scored in the second half. Um, Netherlands struggled a little bit in this one, but ultimately came out victorious 3-2 in this game. What, what do you make of the Netherlands as a prospect for this tournament, Zach? Netherlands are an interesting one. I, I think they're kind of like a... Uh, a slightly lower, you know, lower in quality version of uh, the Belgians. They're, they're neighbors in the sense of a lot, a lot of attacking talent, um, a somewhat questionable defense, uh, and um, I guess maybe something a little bit different, uh, somewhat questionable in goalkeeper as well with uh, Martin Stecklenburg still somehow still starting for the Dutch. It feels like he's been on that team for 30 years, but uh, yeah, to, to, as you said, it took them a while to get going, and and once they did, they were able to, um, well, they were, they were able to get out to a quick lead, blow their two thing lead in about five minutes in the second half with Ukraine getting uh, two goals, um, one of which by uh, Roman Roman Yar Yarm. How do, how do you pronounce that name? Yar Yarm Yarmchuk Yarmchuk Yarmchuk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The yeah. the yeah. Scored, I was going to say he was man of the match in the game for me. He scored and he assisted in this game. Um, and of course, shout out to my fantasy football team, was sitting on my bench in place of Yilmaz, who, who gave me a big fat goose egg. So of course he was duly sitting on my bench for that one. But like you said, 2-0 up, pegged back to 2-2. And then perhaps the best name in professional football, Denzel Dumfries, the right back. For Amazing name for Holland with the, uh, with the winning goal there, 25 year old PSV player. Um, yeah. Just doing the business and, and getting a crucial three points for the Netherlands. Yeah. Again, it doesn't really matter how the points come uh, if, if they do go your way and yeah, Dumfries jumping over a Manchester city defender, Alexander uh, Zinchenko for that final goal, a nice header at the back post where Zinchenko fell a bit asleep. Um, but yeah, those, Controversial take here. Zinchenko might be one of the most overrated players in the Premier League. I've, I've always been on the fence about that because I've seen matches where he does play quite well. But yeah, I, I think that I think that he's a little bit below the grade for Manchester City, although he has played in you know some of the biggest matches he played in the Champions League uh, final this year. So um, Look I, I suppose that we... Yeah, exactly. Uh, I suppose that... Maybe you know, maybe there's more than than meets the eye, but 
Um, yeah, Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus making up two pretty overrated players, both on Manchester City. That is true. That is true. All right, so that wraps up the fixtures for Group C. We'll be getting back into it after the commercial break, uh, with starting with Group D fixtures, so England and Scotland to come right after the commercial break. Before we do, Zach, I just want to round out with the Euros trivia. Again, a reminder of our question this week. Who is the only Italian to finish as top scorer in a European championships? Your first clue is... When he did this, he finished as joint top scorer with five other players, so six players total finished top scorer in this tournament, and he finished with three goals in the tournament. Okay. All right. All right. This is good. This is good. I think I think I know the tournament. I think I know when this was. Um, I have a guess here. I have a guess here. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to chew on it a little bit more All right. because That's I can't good. answer it right now. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back after the quick word from our sponsors, back with the False Nines, episode 70, first Euro recap. Uh, as Adam said, we'll, we'll probably have a couple more as the, the tournament goes on. Uh, but on to Group D for now. Um, the First match in Group D, the one that so many of our listeners probably were most excited for, was the England-Croatia match. One of the matches of the weekend, I think, on paper. Um, England going up against the the team that knocked them out of the World Cup in the last iteration and the team that was the, the semifinalist in said World Cup. Um, and England coming out victorious. Finalists, finalists in that one. They lost to France in the final. Oh, I don't. Yes, excuse me. I don't. I I said semifinalists, and my mind was. I was thinking runner-up. So yes, uh, yep. finalist in that match. The the second place team, Croatia, England, getting the victory coming from Raheem Sterling. Uh, I, I'd say a player that a lot of people were not sure uh, if he would get the starting role, and he did indeed over Jack Grealish, scoring the winner in the second half, a goal assisted by Calvin Phillips. A lot of people said he was the man of the match for England. Um, but yeah, wh- how did you see this one uh, play out? Were you impressed by the performance by England? I, I saw some some kind of mixed reactions on social media. Some people saying that um, it wasn't as uh, good a performance as they were hoping for out of the three Lions. Listen, at the end of the day, the other two teams in this group are Scotland and the Czech Republic, right? And Wales just beat the Czech Republic in competitive football recently. So you you would expect this to be the toughest test for an England team in this group. And I think they, they came out of it, although not necessarily looking as creative as they possibly could. They did create some chances. Um, I don't think we have a fully fit Harry Kane just yet. I think that he's playing himself back into, into some form there. Calvin Phillips, this was a breakout performance for him. I thought he was fantastic throughout. Mason Mount as well, I thought had a really good game. A lot of hype coming to the tournament about Mount. And then I thought Tyrone Mings actually deserved a good shout out in this in this one too. He came in, you know, he, he normally wouldn't be starting. This would be Harry Maguire's spot, you know, where he'd be in, in, as a center back and captaining the team. But Mings came in and I thought did a really good job here. You know, a clean sheet against the Croatia team, although an aging Croatia team. Is, is really good. Um, they didn't create as much as they could have done. I thought we kept it very tight in midfield and at the back as well. And then I thought that ultimately there was a lot of criticism placed at Raheem Sterling's door. He didn't have a great Champions League final. A lot of people were saying he shouldn't start this game. But, you know, Grealish, hasn't, Grealish is just coming back from a fairly major injury. 
And I think he probably rightly got the start in this one. I think it was a little bit critical to say that he didn't necessarily deserve to start in this game. Sterling's a world-class player. Um, and on his day is good enough to grace any international team. And, you know, he took his chance really, really well. So credit to England. They grounded out. This was their first ever opening game victory in the European Championship. So a very important one and a mental hurdle to get over there. Um, so so credit to Gareth Southgate. I thought it was a good good first performance. Did what he needed to do. Got the three points. On to the next game. Yep, I agree. No double standards can be held if, you know, we're saying just minutes ago that it doesn't really matter the performance, all that matters is the result, especially in group stages. That would apply for England as well. And uh, yeah, it was the it was the two Manchester City wingers that were the um, the closest to, or the, the two who, um, you know, were, were the most impressive in attack. Phil Foden almost getting a goal in uh, the first half, a ball hit off the post, and then Sterling as we've said, getting that goal there. Uh, I did like after the match, a reporter asked Raheem Sterling if he believes that he proved his doubters wrong in that match. And he laughed off the question and didn't even answer it, which I loved because that is, if if he, if the player gets the one goal in a one nil victory, it's a pretty stupid question to ask him if he thinks he proved his doubters wrong in the match. It wasn't a great question, but I think, you know, he had some critics coming into that game and, you know, whether he admits it or not, I think, you know, that shuts some people up. So um, good for him. Good, good goal. Well taken. Yeah. And Calvin Phillips with, with a peach of a through ball for the goal too. It was indeed. Yeah. Phillips, a, a player whose stock has only risen exponentially over the last uh, year or so. Uh, you know, I think 12 months back, if you asked somebody if Calvin Phillips would be starting for England, they would probably ask you who Calvin Phillips was. Um, so yeah, a really a really nice performance by him. Unfortunately for the other team in Group D that comes from the British Isles, Scotland, uh, off to not as good of a start in this tournament. It was, it was Scotland's first major tournament appearance in 23 years, and they actually got to play it in Scotland against the Czech Republic. Unfortunately for them, the Czech Republic coming out of this one pretty comfortable winners um, with two quite, quite, remarkable goals the the second one uh, pr uh maybe a bit um, more impressive than the first but uh yeah a, a really nice win for the czech team highlighted by a patrick schick 50 60 yard shot on the run catching david marshall um out way way out in no man's land um and schick just putting the ball away with a plum Yep, I think the commentator said it best. It's one thing to see a goalkeeper off his line. It's another thing to be able to have the technical skill to execute on that and score past him. So very, very impressive. Beautiful left-footed curler over David Marshall. Derby County's 36-year-old David Marshall. I always remember talking to Gus about the Scotland goalkeeping crisis. So who knows? Maybe maybe four years from now, if Scotland qualify for Euro 24, David Marshall will still be their keeper. Uh, but it's a good Scottish team. There's there's some talent in it. Um, I, I just think that the occasion was kind of too much for them here. Disappointed for the Tartan Army in this one. Um, but I think an expected win for the Czech Republic here for me. Absolutely. An expected win with a, a, a front runner for goal of the tournament. Um, last thing I'll say on that goal, don't want to uh, be too abrasive to any of our Scottish listeners if we have any, but uh, particularly impressive that Schick did it at a full sprint too. You know, we've seen a lot of those half field goals come from standing position uh, with a ball sitting, you know, uh, 
kind of stagnant on the ground, but um, Chick hitting this one and kind of in stride. So uh, a pretty wonderful goal. And again, Czech Republic, as we've said time and time again throughout this podcast, getting the three points that puts them in an immediate position to advance uh, out of the group stages. Yeah, they're a good team. They they always seem to grind out results, especially in the major tournaments. So, you know, I see them getting out of the group. I don't see them going much further, though. Well, we will see what happens. Group E, uh, first match in Group E that took place. Uh, our 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 hero Martin Dubravka between the sticks for the Slovakians and coming out the surprise victors against Poland. I, I think this might have been uh, the biggest surprise victory on the weekend. Maybe not the biggest surprise result, as we'll talk about another match right after this that might take the cake on that one. But Slovakia getting a massive win. Uh, 2-1 against Poland. Uh, the uh, Polish superstar Robert Lewandowski, possibly the best striker in the world, held quite quiet in this match, did not get a goal. Um, and this was a really exciting one. Two really nice goals by Slovakia. The first one on a nutmeg on the sideline and then uh, a ball that ricocheted off the post and off the Polish keeper Wojak Szczesny for an own goal. Um, and then the winner, a uh, beautiful, beautiful hit by uh, uh, Skriniar, I, I've always had difficulty pronouncing that, the center back for Inter Milan, catching it um, on a bit of a volley uh, for the winner off a corner kick in the second half. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the few things that Newcastle United fans can root for in Euros that ties to the club, uh, I'd say that Martin Dubravka succeeding is probably top of the list for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we actually had three players that played today in the Euros. We had Ryan Fraser playing for Scotland. Uh, not fit enough to play for Newcastle, but he's when he's playing for Scotland, he's always there. Um, then we had Martin Dubravka, as you mentioned, and then we'll get to Spain, Sweden, but Emil Kraft came on for some of that game. So mm-hmm. a good Newcastle presence today, I agree. Um, and I thought that um, Dubravka did what he needed to do pretty well in this game. Skriniar, class finish in this one um from a defender yeah. he finished it like a striker it was it was fantastic to see him finish like that um, but it was right after poland had gone down to 10 men and they will be without their number 10 um in the next game here so i think you know we we potentially have a surprise team in slovakia that could make it through this i think if you'd looked at the four teams poland slovakia spain and sweden maybe slovakia would be the one that you'd say had the least chance of making it through to the next round before this game kicked off it's the beautiful thing about uh, such a, a small group stages is Bakia now in first place in the group, the only team with three points because the final game uh, of the first four days of Euros, Spain-Sweden ending in a surprise nil-nil draw. I, I say surprise because Spain pretty much dominated uh, everything about this match. They had 85% possession. Um, they had... A, Almost, I think it was almost 20 shots, but the one thing, the one asterisk there was their inability to hit the target. Uh, Alvaro Morata missing two or three different uh, chances that he probably should have put away. And uh, this was a big, big question for Spain going into this match or going into this tournament is where are the goals going to come from and what is going to be the situation at defense with Sergio Ramos not playing in his first tournament since 2006. Um, the first question was kind of addressed today. You know, the goal scoring threat might be an issue. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Jared Mourinho, the same thing as well. I thought he, you know, he scored in the Europa League final for Villarreal, but couldn't score today. Um, had a couple chances as well and probably should have scored. So 
you think back to like legendary Spanish strikers that they've had, and this doesn't seem like it's really elite right now. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for them. They're going to play beautiful, sexy football, 85% possession. That's what we can expect from them. They're going to dominate the ball all the time, but can they finish those chances? Today they couldn't. Great point for Sweden, though. Um, and then some winnable matches in Poland and Slovakia to come for them. So Sweden got to be feeling pretty good about this this result, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, they were the, um, I believe they were plus 900 uh, going into this match to come out victors. And they, they didn't come out victors, but getting a point is is massive for them. And um, if they can, yeah, if they can turn an upside down crooked number on either Poland or Slovakia, they will probably go through the group as well. So really, really impressed the disciplined defense that Sweden showed. It wasn't just Spain missing a lot of opportunities. Sweden did play really, really compact at the back and, and kind of just kept everything under control, um, albeit for a few moments that, that Spain should have gone ahead. So credit to the Swedes in that one. Yep, absolutely. So that, that kind of recaps the games. Again, we've still got the Group F games to come tomorrow or if you're listening to this on Tuesday today. Um, but one more thing we just wanted to do to wrap up our Euros. Very early doors right now, Zach. But overall winner, do you have an early pick or a prediction for that? Yeah, so uh, I'll go with two different teams here, kind of under a conditional. I think that if Belgium is able to stay healthy, they will they will win this tournament. Uh, I say if they're able to stay healthy because you have Kevin De Bruyne hasn't it did not play in the first match. He he just got cleared for practicing um, with the the Belgian side and is now in consideration for their second match against Denmark later this week. But De Bruyne coming off that facial fracture that he suffered in the Champions League final. And then uh, Jan Vertonghen going down with a an injury in the first match taken out. It seemed like more out of precaution because they were already up 2-0 at the time. But I think that if Belgium can, can stay healthy, Lukaku is playing the best football of his career right now. He looks like he's in amazing shape, both mentally and physically. His, his second goal just speed and power and decisive finishing. Um, and then again, if De Bruyne has his health, he's one of the best players in the world. So um, yeah, I'll say Belgium if they're healthy. And then if they're not, I'll, I'll kind of uh, give myself a little safety net there. Say that France will take this one home um, if Belgium kind of falls apart with injuries. Okay, so Belgium or France. I, I, I'm going to agree with you on the France side. I think France have got a great shout at obviously doing this. They've got a really strong squad here. And then my second pick for this is actually going to be Italy. Um, I have okay. A feeling, I, don't, I, I have a feeling. It's like never rule out the Germans in major tournaments. For this for this tournament, I feel like don't rule out Italy. I think they're a good, solid team. Um, very, very good defensively. World-class goalkeeper. And they've got goals in them now as well. So I think that you know they've got the, the full package there. So I like, I like the idea of Italy here potentially as a winner or maybe France. I like that. I like that. Um, okay, so that's your pick for the winner. What about top scorer? Are you gonna are you gonna pick a, a French or Italian player, or is there somebody else you think could pull it off? Uh, I struggled with this one to be honest. Um, I wasn't quite sure which way to go with this, so I just went with Harry Kane um, because I feel like he's gonna. <laughs> And I think that he's going to score plenty of goals. They've got Scotland up next. So Patrick in that game, I think he'll be back on track. Oh, okay. All right. That's a, a bold thing to do. Pick a player that didn't score in his first match, but I like it. That's why I make bold moves here, my friend. That's true. You always have. You always have. What about you? Who are you picking for top score? Uh, 
Romelu Lukaku is going to win uh, the Golden Boot in this tournament. As I've mentioned a couple times now, it's a, it's a bit of a homer pick because he does have two goals already, so a pretty safe bet. But I, again, I, I think that Belgium is going to cook uh, through their group. I think they're going to perform really well and go deep in this tournament. And I think Lukaku is you know, a type of player who's in a state right now where you give him any even a half opportunity and he can put them all in the back of the net. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to go with Lukaku, so I wanted to mix it up a little bit. But I think he's the he's the logical choice, right? He's the striker in form. Great season for Inter Milan. Two goals in his first game. Yeah, he's he's, he's the logical pick if you're a betting man. There you go. There you go. Cool. Right. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in a few weeks to, to kind of catch you up on what's taken place so far in the additional matches after our recording today. Uh, but, yeah, that is the first four days of Euro's ran through got matches pretty much every day um at least until the latter stages of the tournament which is always so exciting yep absolutely so on to 10 and 90 and if you don't mind zach i will go first today okay because i know you have let's hear you have a little bit of a love affair with the belgium national team so i made that theme my uh, i made that how you don't i don't know know how you don't have a love affair with the belgium national team i don't get that uh, they're they're we're their bogey team, so it's all good. That is true. That is yep. true. Do you do you? Do you I I cut the same claim about us if Chris Wondolowski knew how to put the ball in the back of the net eight years ago, but that's I'm not something I'm still salty about by any means. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it at all. <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. Um, Ten and ninety Belgium national team theme. Zach, I think you could probably get a few of these. Um, how many major tournaments have Belgium won? Zero? Zero is the correct answer. One? They have, they have yeah, zero. Okay. They won in Olympic Games, but that doesn't count. Um, they no, finished as the not World not. Cup third place team. That's their best finish in the last World Cup in 2018. And they were runners up in the Euros in 1980. So they've only made the final once. And that was 41 years ago. So maybe they'll make it this time. Okay. Question there number one for one. One for one. Who is Belgium's most capped and current player? with 127 appearances and counting. I believe that I've mentioned this player. Is it Jan Vertonghen? It is Jan Vertonghen. Two for two. Well done, sir. Yeah. Nice. All right. Nice. Who is Belgium's top goal scorer currently with 62 international goals? Is it an active player? Are you going to tell me that? I can't tell you that. I'm sorry. I, I I don't have the clearance to tell you that information. You're two for two. I'm trying to see if I can slip you up here. Yeah. Um, Belgium's all-time leading goal scorer. He's not Belgian. Um, <laughs> no, I'm curious. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm going to go with Marijuana Fellaini. No. Uh, <laughs> um... Is it? It can't be Lukaku. There's no way he has that many goals. Is it Lukaku? It is Romelu Lukaku. Sixty-four games. Like what, quite the return oh, there. Goodness. Yep, he's he's there we working. Go. Oh, I'm rolling. Yep, three for three. Okay, fine. Question four. Sorry, um, who knocked Belgium out of their last European Championships?
Was it Wales? It was no, Wales. It was, yeah, it was Wales. In the quarterfinals, Hal Robicanu, <laughs> Ashley Williams. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that was the, the Cruyff turn heard around the world. <laughs> oh, my word. If Messi had done it, they'd still be talking about it, Zach. And I'm still talking about it, so it's good enough for me. So four for four. There we go. There go. 100% for the first time ever. You have a 50-50 chance, my friends. Who are you going to pick? Oh, it is fun. Okay. Who has captained Belgium more, Eden Hazard or Vincent Kompany? Oh, man. It's got to be Kompany. It has to be the center back. Is wrong. It's Eden Hazard. Ah, I blew it. I blew it at the finish line. <laughs> You're so close. It's the closest you've ever been. Hazard has 45 starts as captain. Company had 38 starts as captain. Um, Hazard is the mm. current captain, and the record is 48. So if, assuming they make it uh, through the group stages, which I'm sure they will, if they can go two more games, then he will take the mantle of 49 caps, top captained player for Belgium from Jan Koulemans, who captained the team from 84 Ooh. to 91. All right. Okay. There you go. Lots we'll of Belgium. Take four for five. Let's yes. see if I can go five for six. Give me this Welsh word. Okay, pronounce these Welsh words for me, my friend. It's actually two words today. The first word right. is Y-R. The second word is A. <laughs> do you want to do that one first? Yed. It's er. Er. And then the second word is A-L-M-A-E-N. A-L-M-A-E-N. Correct. Alman. Alman. Ur Almain. Ur Almain. That's good. That sounds German. <laughs> it's literally Germany in Welsh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that's half point. That has to be half point. <laughs> I can give you four and a half out of six. Good job, my friend. That's an absolute victory. Um, all right. Win. Very good. You can take it for sure. Lovely. So, so you went with Belgium as your theme. I just went with a general Euro uh, statistical, or not statistical, but objective trivia. So no abstracts in this one. Okay. Um, tried to try to really kind of run the timeline here. Go Euros throughout the ages, right? Um, so the Euros or European tournament can be known by either name. We'll start off with question number one here, Adam. Uh, question number one: Cristiano Ronaldo is tied for the most goals in Euro's history with nine goals in 21 matches played. Who is he tied with? Michel Platini. It is Michel Platini, and I thought you would get that right, so good job. Michel Platini tied on nine goals with Ronaldo. Ronaldo same did it in 21 matches. Huh? He did it in the same tournament. I know, I know that just because he he's did. the top scorer ever in the Euros. In a single tournament. In how many matches? That, that was the follow-up question. I want to say it was like six or seven matches. Platini scored nine goals in five matches in 1984. <laughs> that is preposterous. That is awesome. Good good player yeah. for sure. Yeah. Question, questionable we'll, we'll, leader of uh, major sporting conglomerates, but um, good player. There you go. Good tie back. Yeah, probably the best Euros that anybody's ever had. Um, 
Okay, uh, question number two. We're going to get a little bit more difficult here. Uh, in 1972, Oof. 1976, and 1980, the same country had the top goal scorer of the tournament, three tournaments in a row. What nation was that? Three separate players? I believe so. Okay. Um, let's go with Germany. Never count out the Germans. That's yeah, that's, that's always right. the uh, the truth there. Very good. Yep. Very good. Germany it's, it's, indeed. It's around that time for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, two for two. We're, we're both performing way above uh, expectation and reality here. Uh, if you get all five, this will be unbelievable. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, question number three. In 1992, <laughs> this one is way too ridiculous. In 1992, Denmark was placed in Euros at the last minute despite not qualifying because a qualifying country had a civil war breakout. What country was kicked out of Euros because of a civil war in 1992? Let's go with somewhere Eastern Europe. Let's go with the Ukraine. Oh, I think if you took another minute on that, you would have gotten it because you 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 had the geography right. 1992, the Yugoslavian oh, yeah. civil war. Okay. Yep. That is okay. what happened. That is what happened. You were living in Europe during that. Um, I lost 10 years old. There you go. Same. Yep. Um, all right. Okay. Question number four, Adam. That was a, that was a tough one. Uh, question number four. In 1988, Les Orange, the national team of the Netherlands, yes. won their first major international trophy. Mm -hmm. What country that no longer exists by name was their opponent in the finals? 1988. Correct. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good follow-up question to ask. The dates are important in all these questions. So that was right before Italian ninety. So it was the Euros. I really wanted to say West Germany, so I'm going to say West Germany. Again, you're 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 getting very close here, and you're just missing out. The USSR was the the team oh. <laughs> that they defeated in the finals, but your your mindset is very on point with this one. I'm trying hard. Yeah, I thought I thought it was like the before when we had East and West Germany, and obviously they've combined since. So. <laughs> they've since reunited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, question number five. So um, this year and. Uh, it's, it's, it's now fairly frequent for Euros to be held throughout Europe. However, in the year 2000 was the first time ever that two European countries co-hosted a European tournament. Which countries were they? Oh, God. I know this too. Again, it's, 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 not, it's not like this year where every country has a match. There were two countries that co-hosted the Euros in 2000, becoming the first co-host ever. It was Euro 96 in England. It was France 98. And then who hosted it in 2000? Can he end on a bang? No, no. 
<laughs> I don't think so. It would be two smaller countries, I feel like. Lesser known countries. I don't think it's like a... It's not an England. It's not a Germany. It's not a Spain. Uh, give me a clue, as I'm already two for four. Okay. Um, two smaller countries is correct. And also, think about, like... Think about logistically two countries that it would be good to have as hosts. Like it, it would make sense to choose these two countries. So neighboring countries. Uh... No, you got me. Go ahead. Oh, you have to put out a guess here. Come on. You you know Europe pretty well. <laughs> I do, but I don't, none of them are making sense to me in my head as I'm thinking them through. Uh, let's go with Denmark and Norway. Oh, again, you, the last three questions, you came oh so close. Belgium and the Netherlands, Adam. It was ah. Belgium and the Netherlands. There you go. Les Oranges. Les Oranges. And you, you had it, two smaller countries that are bordering one another. Um, yeah. But your geography knowledge failed you at the, at the final hurdle. I don't know if that was my geography knowledge. I could have picked any two neighboring countries, and I might have been wrong. But you're your geopolitical knowledge failed you just <laughs> just before crossing that one. <laughs> there you go. Well, um, not as good as you did, sir, but I'm still proud of my Michel Platini answer. So that was good. That was that was that was good by by both of us there. Yeah, Michel Platini and the Germany one right off the bat. So solid. Yep. And I uh, so if Ronaldo scores tomorrow, he is out and out first ever player to have double digit goals in a career in the Euros, right? That is true. He will do it in five European tournaments, which is extremely impressive. Although, again, he will do it in nine goals in nine goals in twenty-two matches, whereas Platini did nine goals or ten goals in twenty-two. Platini has nine goals in five, which Cristiano Ronaldo is shite, Zach. That's the, the that's how I want to end this podcast. Actually, I can't end Very it because like, I got to give you your trivia answer. Yeah, let's hear it. All right, what's the clue? What's the clue number two? Who is the only Italian to finish as top scorer in a European Championships clue number one halfway through the pod? When he did this, he finished as joint top scorer with five other players on three goals. This former Premier League player achieved the feat in Euro 2012. Uh, yeah, I believe it was Mario Balotelli. Is the correct answer. Great showing today, Zach. Very impressive. Good job, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I knew it was 2012 uh, because when I was doing my research for uh, my trivia questions, I remember seeing and, and being surprised that the highest scoring players at 2012 were, were only three goals and remembering that it was a, uh, a number of players. And from there, it was kind of process of elimination of, okay, who scores goals for Italy? And um, Balotelli was that man for a few years. Yeah, I was trying to trip you up with like uh, the Alessandro Del Pieros back in the day and players like that, legends that played back in the day. But you got it. Well done, my friend. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it was not Luca Toni. And Luca Toni is probably my favorite Italian player. So There you go. You're a Fiorentina fan, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm a big Fiorentina fan, man. That's my, that's my squad. That's right. Who's who's the most famous Italian player to ever play for Fiorentina? Zach? The most famous Italian player to ever play for Fiorentina? Federico Bernardeschi before his move to Juventus. No, <laughs> kidding. Um, ooh, I don't know. Um, who, who would that be? I don't know. I just threw it out there. See, testing your Fiorentina. Ooh, to test my knowledge. 
Um, yeah, that is stupid. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Comes for me, but he's not Italian, obviously. So, um, but he's. Who did you say? Batistuta is the player. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say Batistuta is maybe the most famous player, or Rui Costa, who I also yeah. think is not, is not Italian. Um, but yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of good players have. Fiorentina a bit of a feeder club, but a lot of good players have gone through Fiorentina. True that. Yeah, that's your homework for in advance of the next pod is to come back to me with three super famous, well-known Fiorentina Italian national team players. I'll, I'll tell you right now, be ready for Fiorentina 10 and 90 on our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Right. Well, um, this was a fun one. Um, I think we might have kept it close to an hour, which is good. I know. Yeah, we. I, I bet we're like at 103. We've never yeah. kept it on, but pretty close. Uh, again, everyone, if you um, enjoy the podcast, remember to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are the False Nines, part of the CHN Radio Podcast Network. Uh, if you have any questions for us that you want us to address or topics you would like for us to go over in our next episode, uh, I will put my Twitter handle uh, in the description for the podcast, it's at ZPensac, um, or you can find Adam on Facebook because that's Adam's social media domain. So and I, hit and us I, up. And I do run the Coming Home Newcastle page on Facebook. So if you need to get me. True. There you go. You got, you got everything unless it's, unless you're a MySpace person and then we're not going to be able to communicate with you. But that's, Zach, that's Zach's on you, not us. Zach's in my top six friends, just so you know along with Tom. Everyone just hit, hit me up in my Google Plus circle. <laughs> <laughs> my aim handle is... At, yeah, yeah, at, at NewcastleZach12. <laughs> there you go. All right, my friend, until next time. Bye, see. see ya.